Thank you, Ariella. Again, my name is Alex Barthet. I'm a board-certified construction attorney uh, in Miami, and today we're going to answer the probably the number one question that, that we get, um, which is, if I'm not getting paid, can I stop working, and how do I get paid? So let's go over what we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes, and that is answering the following questions. So number one, what does your contract say about stopping work? Uh, next, what is the status of work and payment on the job at the time you want to stop working? Next, does your contract have a pay when paid provision because that's going to affect uh, whether you can stop working or not? Then we'll look at whether or not you have lien or bond rights to secure your payment. Um, and then once you analyze all of those issues, We'll talk about what it takes in order to move forward, taking the plunge at stopping work at the end. So let's get started. So the first thing you need to do in analyzing the question whether or not you can stop working if you haven't been paid is to look at your contract. What does it say about stopping work? Maybe your contract is just a handshake, so it probably says nothing about stopping work. Maybe you have a, a purchase order or a simple one-page agreement. Also, just because it's in writing, it may not say anything about work stoppage. Where we see it mo most often is situations where a subcontractor or a sub-subcontractor on a larger job has a much longer contract, probably in the 8 to 15 or even 30 pages. And when you get into contracts that are much more sophisticated, they deal with work stoppage is a specific issue. So let's take a look at what a sample stop work provision looks like in most of the contracts. So this, this provision that we're going to go through now is actually in a contract that I reviewed recently. And it says, in the event of a dispute as to whether any item or portion of the work is within the scope of the work to be performed by the subcontractor or any dispute as to whether subcontractor is entitled to an extra payment or additional time, subcontractor shall continue to proceed diligently with the performance of the work, uh, this subcontract and any disputed work pending any resolution. The existence of a dispute shall not be grounds for any failure to perform by subcontractor. In my experience, a provision like this is relatively common. And what it means is that if you sign a contract with a contractor, or maybe you're a subcontractor, sub-subcontractor, and this exists in your contract with the subcontractor, you have agreed in advance that you're going to follow the dispute resolution process that exists in the contract, and that stopping work is not available to you as an option. So understand at the beginning when you review a contract and negotiate it, if you run into a provision like this, that you can end up having a dispute with the contractor and financing the job because it, uh, according to this, par this paragraph, you need to keep working even though you may not be getting paid. So that means you're paying your labor, you're paying your subs, you're paying for material, all of your general conditions, home office overhead, and you don't have that money coming in and you may have to undertake a mediation or an arbitration or maybe even uh, file a lawsuit in order to resolve the dispute 
but work, stop, stopping work is not an option. Now, if you don't have a written agreement, we're going to talk about what are other things you need to consider, but know that if you have no agreement, no written agreement, so it's a handshake, or a written agreement that doesn't explicitly prevent you from stopping work, that it now becomes an option uh, for you, meaning that you, you may be able to stop work. It's, it's not that you absolutely can stop working if you don't have this provision. It just means that your analysis can continue to determine whether or not it's the best thing for you. But let's take a quick look at what a provision would look like that you may want to include as you negotiate contracts in the future so that you have the explicit right to stop work. So this is what's called a stop work provision. This would not necessarily exist in a contract that's given to you. It would be something that you would have to add. Uh, and it reads, subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request 30 days after submission. Now that's pretty clear and what it says as you understand is that if you haven't been paid in 30 days and I, I put 30 days, you, maybe it's 15 days, maybe it's 60 days, but if you haven't been paid in a certain amount of time then you have the right to slow down the work, to stop the work and you don't have to worry about uh, being penalized. It doesn't give you the immediate right to be paid, it just stops the bleeding so that you don't have to continue to finance the job if you're not getting paid. So as you review and negotiate contracts in the future, consider adding a provision like this so that you can stop working if you're not getting paid. So the next step in the analysis is taking a look at the job and determining what is the status of work and payment. So most of the time that we see this, our client comes to us and they're owed money and they want to stop work. But it's, it's possible that you may want to stop work because of other reasons. You may, in fact, be overpaid. So you may have a fear that you may not be getting the rest of your money or the job is just taking too long and you don't want to stay on the job. If that's the case, you have to be very careful because you need to make sure that you haven't been paid for labor or materials that haven't already been furnished. Meaning, if you analyze the finances on the job, have you received more money than, than the job has on site in the form of your labor and materials? And where, where one of the places that this comes into play most often is whether or not you have received deposits for materials that are on order. Um, so maybe you are the window subcontractor and you've received a 50% down payment for the windows and now you're having a hard time on the job but you've effectively been overpaid because you have this deposit that's been given to the window manufacturer but you haven't provided the windows yet. So if you decide that you want to stop working when this happens you need to account for that. Maybe, maybe one of the ways to resolve that is as part of the negotiation of getting out of the contract is you would assign your rights to the windows to the contractor. But always check on whether or not you have that. The next thing you have to look at is what about your subs and suppliers? Do you owe them money? So if you stop working, what's going to happen with them? Are they going to be coming after you to get paid? They may, they may have lien rights and bond rights, and we'll talk about that in a minute but also remember that you have a contract with them. 
if you stop working and you're not getting paid, and once you stop working, you're not likely to get paid right away without a little bit of a fight, are, you, are your subs and your suppliers lined up with you so that they're not going to come after you? Uh, next, have you given any personal guarantees to your subs and suppliers? Part of the analysis of determining whether or not you should stop work is understanding the risks associated with stopping work. So it may be that it's worse for you to stop working than it is to continue to try to finish the job and, and get paid. So as an example, maybe you have personal guarantees with your suppliers. If you stop working and you're not getting paid, maybe your, your suppliers are going to come after you uh, or the principles of the business on that personal guarantee. Now, you may determine you know, whether I continue working or I stop working, I'm still not going to get paid, so I'd rather stop working. And that's a valid decision to make, but these are things that you need to analyze as part of the, the process of stopping work because it's a very significant move to stop work on a job. Uh, next, do you have a bond on the job? On larger jobs, you may be a, a sub or a sub-sub, and you may have given your own payment and performance bond to the contractor and owner. If you stop work, your surety may receive notice from the contractor uh, making a claim on, on your performance bond. That may impact you significantly on other jobs. Uh, a performance bond claim on your, on your surety is something that should not be undertaken lightly. So you need to be very careful in analyzing your decision to stop working, especially if you have your own payment and performance bond on the job. The next thing you need to look at is whether or not your contract has a pay when paid provision. So are you not getting paid by the contractor because the contractor hasn't been paid by the owner? If that's the case, do you have a pay when paid provision in your contract? More likely than not, you probably have some version of a pay when paid provision. The question is, is it a valid and enforceable pay when paid provision? And that analysis comes down to determining whether or not there is certain magic language that exists in the pay when paid provision. And here are two examples of that magic language. Payment from the owner is a condition precedent to payment to the subcontractor. So the bold language condition precedent is some of that magic language. If it doesn't say condition precedent, it may say uh, contingent upon. So the next version of an enforceable pay when paid provision is payment to subcontractor is contingent upon contractor's receipt of payment from the owner. Um, so if it says condition precedent or contingent upon, then it has the magic language. But if it doesn't, if it just says payment to the subcontractor shall be when contractor receives payment from the owner, and it doesn't have that magic language, those provisions are likely unenforceable, which means that there is no pay when paid. Understanding whether or not you have a pay when paid provision is, is important because if you haven't been paid because the contractor hasn't been paid, then you legally have no right to stop working because that doesn't constitute a breach of your contract if you have a valid pay when paid provision in your contract. So these are all the things that you need to look at before you decide to stop working on a job. 
Next, uh, you need to determine whether or not you have valid lien or bond rights. So as you may know, a lien is a legal right to those that provide labor and materials to a project, and that right gives you the ability to sell the property, and any equity from that property is going to be used by the court, if you prevail, to pay the unpaid lienors. So if you are the electrician on a project or uh, the tile supplier on a project, and you record a lien and you prevail, the, the property will be sold, and at the sale, all that equity, because maybe there's a mortgage on the property, um, the, the mortgage gets paid first, but any equity from the sale would go to pay you and any other lienor that has asserted a claim and it's been determined to be valid. Before you decide to pull the plug on a project, you need to make sure that you're going to have that you will have secured your rights to be paid via a lien. You may have rights against the contractor's payment bond. It's similar to your rights under a lien, except instead of the property that is encumbered, it is the claim against the contractor's payment bond surety. So briefly, we'll go over the filing requirements for a lien or a bond in Florida. Um, and the rule is relatively straightforward. It's 45, 90, one year. So within no later than 45 days from your first work on the project, the owner and contractor need to receive your notice to owner. Again, 45 days is the outside most date, and ideally you do it much sooner. Uh, if you uh, use a service like Sunray, they handle all of the paperwork associated with the notice to owner. You submit the request to them, they do the research, and that notice gets sent out to everyone that needs to get it under the law via certified mail. Uh, it's a very simple process and they take all of the hassle out of it. So that's step one. No later than 45 days you send your notice to owner. Next, within 90 days of your last work on the project, again, no later than 90 days from your last work on the project, you need to record your claim of lien in the county where the project is located, or if you have a claim against a payment bond, the surety and contractor need to receive a copy of that notice of non-payment by the 90th day. Again, remember, these days are the outside most time period. Ideally, you're, you're undertaking these steps at least a few weeks before the, the deadline so that you have a little wiggle room in case the mail gets delayed or there's a problem in your office and, and someone drops the ball. So don't wait till the absolute last day. Try to do it much sooner. And then the last step is no later than one year from your last work on a bond claim or one year from the recording date of the claim of lien you need to enforce your rights in court on the lien or the bond. And again, this is the outside most date. I would recommend that if you're owed money and you don't have a business reason to wait, maybe you have other jobs with this contractor or this owner, so you've decided that you want to wait to enforce your rights, that's fine. Other than that, you should be taking action to collect the debt 
I would say anywhere from 30 to 90 days after you send your notice of non-payment or record your lien. Waiting much beyond that isn't going to make your case any better. It probably is going to make it worse. People are going to move from company to company. Documents may get lost. Memories fade. So the sooner you decide to take action, the more likely it is that you will get paid. So if you're going to consider walking off a job uh, because you haven't been paid, you want to increase the likelihood of getting paid by asserting timely your lien and bond rights. So now we've looked at all of the issues and the question is, are you ready to take the plunge and walk off the job? I would urge you that before you actually do that, because while we're going over generalities now, every contract is different, every uh, situation is a little different, you should consult with a construction attorney first. So that attorney can give you the pros and cons associated with walking off a job. You don't want to find yourself in a worse place because you decided to walk off the job and regret that decision. So consult with a construction attorney first to understand the risks and benefits of walking off the job. But once you decide that you're going to do it in the future, use the opportunity before you walk off the job because you may not get access back to the site to document, document, document what is happening on that site. What are the reasons that are holding you up on that job? Take lots of pictures. You can take videos. Send written notices. Uh, even emails are fine. Ideally, you're not waiting until the last minute, but that the documentation has been progressing through the course of the job so that you can tell a story of what happened on the job and why things outside of your control were negatively impacting your ability to do your work and you can tell that story over weeks or months. Remember that part of protecting your rights to get paid is building your legal case during the course of construction. Sending regular notices, sending pictures and emails to the contractor or the subcontractor or the owner indicating what's happening on the job. Uh, because if you wait until the very end, it looks like you're just complaining. But if you do it over uh, a longer period of time, you can tell a much better story. If you are bonded, if you are the bonded contractor or you're a sub and you are the bonded contractor, you need to make sure that you notify your surety before you walk off the job. Because one of the things that will likely occur is that your surety uh, will receive a notice from the contractor or the owner. So you don't want them to get that notice first. You want to talk to them first and let them know about the problem. Let them know that you've spoken with an, a lawyer, you've documented the issues on the job, and that it's in your best interest to walk off so that you can get their support and that there are no surprises. And then once you decide to pull the plug, get ready for the fallout because things are probably going to get more tense and more complicated on that job. And in many instances, it, it's a game of, of chicken. Who's going to crack first? Maybe you're able to use the walk-off as an ability to get the other side to come to the table and negotiate a resolution. But just understand that while you think that may occur, uh, it may not. There's the possibility that they say, you know what, forget you, and they go out and get a replacement contractor and they can, they're going to backcharge you all of that, those costs. So um, once, you, once you take the plunge, 
get ready for whatever is going to come your way. And ideally, you've spoken with an attorney so you have a better understanding of those risks.